In retrospect, it was probably kind of cruel to put a video of people swimming up today, wasn't it? Like, whoops, sorry. Um, but it's, you know, it's 10 degrees outside, so it's only 100 or so days until we can get in our own pools, right? Like, cool. So I have a really quick question. Um, who here has made a New Year's resolution this year? But wait, it's January 8th. Who here has already broken their New Year's resolution this year? Anybody? 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 It's all right. You don't have to be too ashamed. Like, it's totally cool. I, I, I'm with you. I made several this year, and one of which I've already broken. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I did some research on the top five most popular New Year's resolutions, okay? Are you ready for them? Number one is a pretty obvious one. Lose weight. Yeah. I know you're all looking at me like, maybe you should make that resolution, sir. Like, I did, all right? Just back off. It's 26 years running now. But um, so number one is lose weight. Um, number two is get organized, which some of you have been to your house. Maybe you should make that resolution, sir. Like, you know, like um, number three is spend less and save more. That's pretty normal, right? Everybody thinks they could budget a little better than they're budgeting right now, you know, like make a little bit of a, di a difference. Number four, this is where it starts to get a little weird for me. Number four, for a long time, that this, this category also included resolutions like quit smoking, but no one, you know, no one does that anymore, I guess, so I, I don't know. But number four is now enjoy life to the fullest. I, I don't know how you measure that, like, so I guess every year you keep that one, like, I enjoyed my life as good as I could have, I guess. I don't know. Number five, this is the one I take an issue with. Number five is eat or stay fit and be healthy. So basically, number five is I don't need to lose any weight. I'll just keep as skinny as I am right now. So you're the person I want to talk to today. I hate you. <laughs> because you're like, well, my resolution this year is to stay the same weight that I am right now and, you know, keep looking good in all my clothes and like, seriously, stop, okay? That's not fair. Like, some of us like sugar and pizza and donuts. And so anyways, so did you know roughly 50% of Americans admit to making a New Year's resolution on a regular basis? 50%, that seems really high, but 50% do. The interesting fact is that only 8% of those people would say that they kept a resolution for a whole year. So that means there's 92% of us who every year on January 1st are like, I'll eat right tomorrow. And like, that's how it goes, right? And for all of us, and you notice that what's interesting about almost every resolution you know, of anybody you know who's made a New Year's resolution, it's always to do something better, isn't it? Their New Year's resolution, and this is like not, not, new, not groundbreaking for you, but your New Year's resolutions are always something that you want to improve. Your New Year's resolution is never like, I'd like to gain about 30 pounds so my pants don't fit anymore, and you know, <laughs> just kind of do my thing. New Year's resolutions are always about doing something better. And, and self-improvement has been a thing as long as people have been aware of the fact that they could use some improvement. I did some research this week on, on like the history of, of self-improvement and the history of growth, and I found some really interesting things things from ancient Egypt, like the time that they were building the pyramids. In ancient Egypt, if you wanted to cure a migraine, if you wanted to improve on, on your headache situation, if you wanted to heal a migraine, the best thing that they thought to do was to find a catfish, 
skin the catfish, put anointing oil in the skull of the catfish, and then pour it on your head. So if any of you want to try that today, like, you're welcome to it. I kind of feel like that's, you know, the essential oils of, of, of 2000 BC, like, this is what you do, all you, you know, maybe, all right, whatever. Um, my, my second favorite, though, my second favorite was in order to get rid of gray hair, so some of you, listen up, so in order to get rid of gray hair in ancient Egypt, they would take the fat of an ox, the fat of of an ibex, which I don't know what that is, but they would take the fat of it, the fat of a cat, and the fat of, I think it was, it must have been a, oh man, now I forget. We'll say catfish just for the sake of the, but they take the fat of those four animals and boil them together and drink them, and if you do that, you lose your gray hair. Anybody else think it's worth it to just have the gray hair? Like, I'll stick with it. That's, that's fine. I don't even have any, but like, I'll just stick with it. But so always trying to improve has always been kind of a, a landmark in the, in the idea of, of people, right? Everyone's always wanted to just do a little bit better. Everybody's always wanted to get a little bit healthier. Everybody seems to want to just have a little bit better with what they're doing. But then there's some of us who... Parts of our lives don't seem like they'll ever get better. You know, like we, we joke and laugh about weight loss and organization, but if you were to ask us the story of our lives, maybe for some of you it would include diagnosis of, of ALS or, or Parkinson's. Or it might include that the doctor said the cancer is gone for now, but there's a chance it could come back at any moment. Or maybe for you, the diagnosis isn't even something that anybody else can see. Your story is just a story of, of pain and struggle for all of your life, and you don't seem to know what, what happened or how it started or how to make it go away. Because it's not really a medical diagnosis. It's just a struggle that you have in your own life. And I want to share uh, uh, something with you today that might be a secret to you. But I want it to get out in the open because there's no need for it to be a secret. And I want to tell you that we all have invisible spiritual struggles that we just can't seem to beat. I mean, I don't know what yours is. I know what mine are. And I know what some of yours are because we, we've shared and we've walked through that together. But there is not a person in this room breathing oxygen today who wouldn't admit to a secret private struggle that they can't seem to beat no matter what they do. For some of them, it's, it's an anger issue. And they hide it pretty well most of the time, but every once in a while, it, it rears its head and it boils back and they, and they blow the top and, and they just lose it on somebody and it starts to, to, to be visible again that, yes, we, we've got an anger problem here. For some people, it's a greed problem, and they may very well be the richest person in the room at any moment, but that's not enough for them anymore, and they kept thinking, if I just had a little more, if I just had a little more, if I just had a little more, and now they're to the point when they have more than they ever would have thought they could have, and it's still not enough, and it's still this struggle inside of them. For some of us, it's, it's a sexual sin, and it keeps rearing its head no matter how hard we try, no matter how many different methods. For some of us, it's an addiction to alcohol or drugs or prescriptions or, or any number of things. For everyone in this room, there is some sort of struggle that, if we're being honest, we've kind of gotten past the trying to beat it point. And we just sort of live with it. 
We've gotten past the trying to improve point, and we just hold the grudge. We don't let it go anymore. What's interesting is if you read through the Bible very much, you'll see very quickly that a lot of times people in the time of the Bible connected spiritual sickness like the ones we're talking about. We, we typically call those sin. They connected sin with disability. And so almost everyone you meet in the Bible, if they have some sort of disability or ailment or permanent thing that was wrong with them, the people around them would assume that they had that disability because there was some sort of grave, terrible sin in either their life or in their parents' life before they were born. And it's one of the reasons that most people who were disabled in that time, whether it was somebody who was paralyzed, who was blind, or who was deaf, or, or any of those things, they weren't, very, they weren't helped very much. It's because the rest of the town and the rest of the people just assumed they must have done something wrong to earn that, so we're just going to let them sit in it for a little while. And so it happens time and time again that people who were, who were sick, who were paralyzed, who were hurting couldn't find any help because there was no one to give it to them because everyone assumed they dug that grave themselves. We'll just let them live in it. And so what happens then is you find places like you do in the book of John chapter 5. It's, it's one of the stories of Jesus, the book of John is. And in John chapter 5, you see the story of a group of people who have all kind of relegated themselves to this life of struggle. And they've all kind of relegated themselves to this life of struggle because they're convinced that it's something that someone else did or something that they did that they'll never be able to get over. So all of these people who are, who are sick, who are afflicted, are living in this place called Bethesda. And in John chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, people who are blind, lame, and paralyzed. And so this place called Bethesda, there were these two pools that kind of sat next to each other. In 2005, archaeologists uncovered the pool of Bethesda, and they kind of have an idea of what it looked like. You can see in the picture here behind me, I think, if you look at the picture behind me, whew, there it is. So there's like the two levels to the pool, and that's how they get the, the five colonnades and the five rooftops. And so the pool at Bethesda was this place where people would just live all of the time. And the reason that the, 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 the invalid people, as the scriptures call them, the reason they lived there is legend had it that occasionally an angel would come down from heaven and stick his finger in the water and make the water ripple. And when the angel rippled the water, the first person to get in the pool, the first person to get in the pool would be healed. And so people who couldn't walk, people who couldn't see, people who couldn't speak or hear, people who had a disability that there was no cure for would just wait by the pool day after day, hoping that today is the day, that today is the day that the angel mysteriously comes down and ripples the water and they could be the first person to get in. And we don't have any scriptural proof. God doesn't say that that was what happened. We, we don't know the whole story there, but we do know that that was the belief of the people at the time. And here's what I know. I know that 2,000 years later, that we don't have a pool that we sit by, but for almost every person in this room, we're kind of waiting and we're kind of hoping and we're kind of praying that there's some sort of miracle that's going to take this struggle away from us. 
that there's something that's going to happen, that something is finally going to fix my hard heart, that something is finally going to break me of my addiction, that something is finally going to make this all the much better. Right? Every single one of us would admit that the struggle that we have, we're hoping there's some sort of miracle cure that will fix us and make it all better. Each of us have this longing inside of us to fix what's wrong. What's interesting, if you've opened your Bible to John chapter 5, you notice that the Bible doesn't seem to be very good at math because it's verses 1, 2, and 3, and then there's no verse 4, and then there's verse 5, 6, and 7. It's not because the person who labeled the Bible can't count. Um, what happened is later on, several hundred years after the book of John was written, someone wanted to add the description about why they were waiting by the pool, which I told you about the angel coming down. And so someone added that. But the more archaeologists dug and the more scholars studied, they realized the original, the, the closer to the original books of John didn't have verse 4. So your Bible might have it. It might be in brackets. It might not have it. But verse 4 explains to you about what the pool thing, but John, the original author, didn't write that. But there's one person in particular that John wants to draw your attention to, and that person is in verse 5. And John says, One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So this man was an invalid, and when we learn from later in the conversation, he was probably a quadriplegic, meaning he couldn't use his arms or his legs. At the very least, he couldn't use his legs because we know he couldn't walk. But this man, for almost 40 years, had been dealing with this problem. For almost 40 years, he had been carrying this pain with him. For almost 40 years, he had been a struggle. And some of you, you know that feeling. You know what it's like to, after, after 20, 30, 40 years of, of knowing the struggle in your life, of knowing the sin that weighs you down, after decades and decades of trying to get better and trying to improve, of trying to beat that problem that plagues you, you know this feeling of just kind of just giving up and just laying by the pool day after day, hoping that today is the day the miracle comes. And you know that feeling because you've started to say things like, it's just the way I am. You know, some people can change, but I never will. And you know this because you've started to say, you know, at least, at least my sin, at least my problem isn't as bad as so-and-so's problem. And you know this feeling and you know this struggle because you've started to say, you know, I, I do have this problem, but... I give regularly, and I come twice a month to church, and I, I help out every once in a while, so I, I'm okay. I, I have a sin, but I'm a, I'm a pretty, pretty good person. But reality keeps hitting us. And I, I think more than we're willing to admit, we find ourselves in the situation of, of this man because Jesus comes and asks him a really interesting question. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And it seems like a dumb question, doesn't it? 
I mean, it seems like a really dumb question that a guy who's laying by a pool hoping that some miracle will come, it seems like a dumb question to ask that guy, do you want to be healed? But it's actually a pretty legitimate question. Because for some of us, that, that weakness, that sin, that struggle is really what's been separating us from the life that Jesus has promised us for a long time. For some of us, that sin, that struggle is driving a wedge into our marriage, is driving a wedge into, into our relationships with others. For some of us, that, that struggle isn't just ruining our lives, it's ruining the lives of people around us. And we say that we want to get better, but if we were honest, we probably don't really want to get better. Because getting better would require effort. Because getting better would, would require work. And so reality comes and Jesus asks the question, do you want to get well? One of my favorite internet memes going around right now is this sign right here, the sign that says everything happens for a reason and sometimes the reason is that you're stupid and make bad choices. Like, that is one of my very favorite things that I've seen on the internet for a long time because it's so incredibly true. And I know that some of you are giving me a dirty look because it's not spiritual to say such a thing and everything happens for a reason because God ordains it. Like, no, the reason you sometimes you have problems is because you're stupid and make bad choices. Like, let's be honest, okay? Like, like so this is what I'm trying to say is that all of us have these struggles and these, and these pains, but sometimes we're not willing to beat them. For instance, if, if for you, your struggle and your pain is that you, you turn to alcohol way more than you should and that you're an alcoholic and you're a drunk by anyone's standards and that alcohol is ruining your family and tearing it apart, if you really want to get better, you don't tell people you're going to the bar just to eat pretzels and see your buddies. Like, you have to stay away from all of it if you're really looking to get better. If you have an anger issue and you really want to get better, your solution is not going to be, you know, I'll stop getting mad at my family so much once my boss stops being such a jerk. So if I get a new boss, all my anger issues will go away. No, your anger issues will go away when you decide to go to counseling or therapy and start talking to somebody about why you're so angry all the time and doing something about it. And so for some of us, when Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well, the question he's really asking is, are you comfortable with who you are to the point where you don't want to fix the problems you have, even if it's ruining your life? Is it easier to ruin your life? Is it easier to, to have these disasters come than it would be to do the hard things? Than it would be to make a change? And what's interesting is the man's response, because the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. And so he kind of says, I want to. I'm okay with getting better, but I can't. I can't do it. And, and, I, and I, think, I think this is a really important point to get to. Because for each of us, there comes a point when it's time for us to recognize that we need to, to get better, that we need to be healed, that we need to be saved. And the next step for us is to say, I want to, but I, I can't. Because the next thing that Jesus says is so incredibly important. And Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. 
And when you've heard this story a couple hundred times growing up in church, it kind of loses its meaning. But I, I was reading the story this week, and I, I was thinking through the importance of this story, and I thought about something that had been a certain way for 40 years, and how if that changed, how everyone would notice. And I started thinking about this man because he probably had a name, and you know, he probably, when he was born, his parents gave him a name, but no one knew that name because everyone just called him the cripple, right? I mean, he had been laying at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, so for most people, their entire adult life, that man was there. They don't know his story. They don't know his name. They just know he was the crippled man, and now all of a sudden, they're at the market, and there's the cripple standing next to them buying groceries, and they're like, huh? Who? What? But that, that's the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is the story of people whose story goes, I used to be, but now I am. And so that means that if your story meets with Jesus' story, your story is, I used to have an anger problem. I used to have, have a problem with sinning sexually. I used to have a problem with greed. I used to have a problem at, at work. I used to have this problem, but now because of Jesus, I am healing. And this is, this is the business that the church is in. This is the business that Scripture is in, is the business of telling stories just like this one. In fact, the very next book after the book of John is the book of Acts. And there's a story there of a guy named Saul who hates Christians so much that he's trying to kill all of them. And while he's on his way to kill some of them, Jesus blinds him with a bright light, and instead of becoming a murderer of Christians, Saul becomes a leader of Christians, a man named Paul, who then writes the next two-thirds of the Bible. And the story is, I used to be the guy who killed Christians, and now I'm the guy who's teaching Christians. I'm going to tell you a, a weird thing that happens to me, and I, I want to make sure you understand that this, this is a good thing. But it happens to me more, than, more often than you'd probably like to know. What happens is, you know, Maysville, Bracken, Mason, Bracken County, it's a smaller town area. And so I meet a lot of people and I talk to a lot of people about my church. And we always play the who do you know that I know game. And one of my very favorite things to do, and it, because it makes me so proud of, of the role that Jesus is playing in your life, is to start talking to people about who comes to our church. And I'll start telling them about, well, maybe you know so-and-so, he goes to our church. Or maybe you know so-and-so, they go to our church. And without a doubt, there is always, it's different people depending on who it is, but there's always people who I get to a name and they go, oh, that person goes to your church? And I go, they do, they do. And without a doubt, this always is the next thing that comes out of their mouth is they will say, well, you know, he used to, da, da, da. Or, well, you know, she was, da, da, da. And I, I tend to tune that part out because for some of you, <laughs> I don't want to know. But I, 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 get, I love getting past that part because the next part is the best part for me. And I say, you know what? That's the best part. They used to. They were. But now... Jesus is working in their life, and that problem, that struggle that they had to overcome that everybody in town knows about, they're working on it because Jesus is working in their life. And so for some of you, I love to hear that about you. 
I love it when people say, that person goes to your church because I get to brag about how I've seen Jesus change your life. And for others of you, you're coming to a point when we're going to start bragging about how Jesus can change your life. And there's a point in almost all of your stories when someone says, that person goes to church at your church? And I'm like, oh yeah. And Jesus is in the midst of changing their life. And if that's you, then I want you to pay really close attention for the next minute. Because if you're thinking to yourself, I wonder, I wonder if I'm one of those people that people are shocked to know I go here. People are shocked to know that I'm interested in Jesus. I want to make a, a challenge to you right now. That maybe it's time for you to stop sitting by the pool. That maybe it's time for you to stop saying, I can't get in because no one will take me. That maybe it's time for you to decide, today is the day I heal my affliction. Because here's the thing, and here's, here's the honest truth about your life, is that right now your story is, I used to be. Right now your story is, I was. But until the day comes when you decide to follow Jesus, your story remains, I used to be, I was. And when your story remains, I used to be, I was, the biggest problem that comes is eventually the day comes when you die. And if your story has never changed from what you were, then eventually you're destined to an eternity of torment and suffering. But if your story becomes, I used to be, I was, and then Jesus saved me, eventually your destiny is an eternity where there is no pain, where there is no sorrow, where there is only freedom and hope. And so here's my challenge to all of you, but specifically to those of you who, who are thinking maybe this applies to you more than you're willing to admit. I don't want you to do anything right now except think. And what I want you to think about is whether or not you've ever made the decision or the conscious choice to follow Jesus. Because when you make the decision to follow Jesus, what we believe and what we teach here is that we walk into a, a pool together, and we call it a baptistry, and we bury you under the water, and we, don't worry, we bring you right back up. We bring you right back up out of the water. And it's in that moment when everything changes for you. And it's in that moment when you say, I used to be him, I used to be her, but now I am something totally different because Jesus saved me. And so if that's you, then I want to challenge you over the next couple of minutes just to think about maybe it's time for you to make that decision. And I'm not going to ask you to make that decision today. What I'm going to ask you to do is as, as we leave today, I'll be at the door, and I just want to ask you to say, I think I need to talk to you about that. I, I've got some history, I've got some past, but I need to make the decision to follow Jesus, and I need to talk about what it means to give my life to him. And maybe today is that day for you. For others of you, you've made that decision long ago. And I just want to challenge you on this. And I want to challenge you that the day you gave your life to Jesus wasn't the end, it was just the beginning. And I want to challenge you to know that, that the, whatever struggle, whatever sin, whatever hurt you're carrying right now, Jesus can heal that too. And Jesus healed that by, being, by going to the cross for you and for me. So here over the next couple of minutes, the men are going to pass the, the communion. 
And while they do, Spencer's going to play and sing a song that's a new song to us. That we, it's a beautiful song, though, about what happened on the cross. Because what happened on the cross is that Jesus bled and Jesus died. And he did that not for himself, but he did that so that you and I could have a story that goes, I used to be, but now I am because Jesus healed me. So as they come with the bread and with the cup, be reminded that his body and his blood were poured out for you so that your story can change. For every curse, you're the cure. For every sickness, you're the healer. For every storm, 